Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, and it is time for a preview of the 2023 Canada Masters. The men this year are in the great city of Toronto. Of course, this is not Monday. In fact, usually my previews come before Monday, at least before the tournament begins. That is not the case this time. If you were in the loop, you know that I am back from a little bit of a vacation. If you are out of the loop, now you know. But uh, we're going to go business as usual for the most part. Same quarter by quarter stuff. Uh, the only alteration is I'm going to give a longer than normal introduction where I am going to reveal my pick to win the tournament right away off the top just to kind of do it first. I don't know. It just felt right. So yes, all the first round matches are done. One second round match is done. Congratulations to Casper Ruud for being into the third round already. For some reason, they scheduled his second round match a day before second round matches started. Mm, I don't know. I want to start by taking a trip down memory lane. Let's hearken back to last year. Hardcore summer. Got a little bit wild. Remember? Pablo Carreño Busta defeats Hubert Hurkacz, wins his first Masters 1000 title in Montreal. Another first-time Masters 1000 champion in Cincinnati. Borna Chorich, who was outside the top 100 at the time, defeats Stefanos Tsitsipas. Was the U.S. Open surprising? Well, maybe not the champion, but you did have first-time semifinalist Francis Tiafo and first-time major semifinalist Karen Hachinov, who nobody really expected to beat Nick Kyrgios in that quarterfinal match. So the, the whole summer came with its fair share of surprises, I think it's fair to say. Why is that? I mean, I think for a long time I've covered what my theory is for why the U.S. Open has been a little bit more wide open than the other three majors. More injuries, more wear and tear, more mental fatigue at this time of year. Which then leads me to the question, are we going to see a similar North American hardcore swing where we're going to get champions that maybe we didn't expect that maybe haven't done it before because all those things are still true. It's still the same time of year. So are we going to see it again? 
I actually land at the answer being no. I look at the top of the field. I look at the best men in the world right now. And I think about where they were 365 days ago. And I can't shake the feeling that they are much, much better now. And not just a few of them. I'm talking most of them. Daniil Medvedev, way better. Stefanos Tsitsipas seems to be in a better spot mentally. This time last year, if you remember the Draper performance, the Galan US Open performance, even, I know he made the final in Cincinnati, but even the match against Torch in the Cincinnati final, his compete level was inconsistent. And I haven't seen that as much recently. He seems to have found some stability. Yannick Sinner is a way better player in 2023 than he was last year. Andre Rublev has made incremental improvements in various aspects of his game. And I trust him a lot more now. And Carlos Alcaraz, who at times last year flashed his unbelievable powers, but at other times played down several levels. And that's been rare this year. We haven't seen that as much. So I, I just think everybody's better. And then you have a couple of participation ads. Novak Djokovic isn't playing here in Toronto, but he'll be back in the mix, back in the fold for Cincinnati in the U.S. Open, which wasn't true last year. And then Alexander Zverev as well, obviously was sidelined with the, the ankle injury last year at this time. This year, he's back. And he's been a very consistent performer, despite not having a lot of massive wins. He's been consistent. And he's 10th in the race. So that's why I kind of look at the field. And as I think about what happened last year, and I ponder if we might see something similar, I land it no. But maybe. We'll have to see. I also want to look at Toronto results. Might that inform us about what's going to happen this week? It's actually a very interesting pattern, a very consistent pattern. What I'm going to do is just rattle off semifinalists from the last two editions of the event. Daniil Medvedev, John Isner, Riley Opelka, Stefanos Tsitsipas twice, Rafael Nadal, Karen Hatchinov, Kevin Anderson. One more time. Medvedev, Isner, Opelka, Tsitsipas twice, Nadal, Hachinov, Anderson. There are a lot of tall, big servers in that group. In fact, everybody's 6'6 six, six and above except for Tsitsipas and Nadal. Tsitsipas and Nadal have exceptional high power, high RPM forehands. So I think my takeaway in terms of the conditions are that these courts just play really lively. You can certainly serve on these courts and it will reward you. The ball just seems to jump off the court and that helps the servers. That helps the taller players who like the high height of bounce. It really helps anybody who wants to kind of 
dig into their power when the ball sits up around shoulder height or, you know, in the case of Isner and Opelka, you know, maybe not quite as high. So that seems to be the pattern. I mean, is it a reach? I don't know. It seems too consistent for it to be a reach. So I keep that in mind. I keep that in mind uh, as I go into my predictions and my preview. Again, before I go quarter by quarter, I do want to just say who I'm picking to win. And then I'll I'll talk a little bit about why. It is Carlos Alcaraz. I do predict Carlos Alcaraz to win in Toronto in 2023. And I didn't know that I was going to pick him. In fact, I didn't really think I was going to pick him because I figure he might need a little bit of time to kick back into gear if he did rest after Wimbledon. I also think there might be a little bit of a mental adjustment necessary after his star power and his expectations rose even a couple levels higher than they already were after beating Novak Djokovic in the Wimbledon final. And ultimately, he's got to lose sometimes. And he hasn't lost in a while. And I just got the feeling coming off of a long hiatus, relatively, in the Wimbledon title, that might not win this one. But I ended up not picking against him. Because I had Stefano Tsitsipas in the semis. This is his best hardcourt masters. The crowd supports him. The crowd lifts him up in Toronto. Big Greek uh, population. He's confident coming off of his Los Cabos title. But I don't think he'll be tired because three out of the four matches that he played in Mexico weren't physical at all. I like the way he's hitting his forehand. I like the way he's protecting his backhand for the most part. I have Medvedev in the final. You never have to convince me much to pick Daniil Medvedev in a best-of-three hard-court tournament. He is great at basically all of them. But if you need more than that, he did win last time in Toronto. And I think he is feeling really, really good about himself, as he should. He had a successful Wimbledon. And compared to this time last year, his tennis is in a way, way, way better place. And historically, this has been a time of year that he's really enjoyed. So, Tsitsipas in the semis, Medvedev in the final. Well, how do they do against Alcaraz? And I know you know these things. I know you know what the answer to that question is. But again, let's kind of iron out some details here. Hammer out some details. Not only is Tsitsipas 0-5 against Alcaraz in his career, but he's won a fewer percentage of points in all five meetings successively. Medvedev has played Alcaraz twice this year, and he hasn't won more than three games in one set. That's five sets against Alcaraz, and he hasn't done any better than 6-3. Look, these guys are too good to not get dominated by Carlitos. Or, I'm sorry. These guys are too good, Medvedev and Tsitsipas, to get dominated by Carlitos 
every time for the rest of time. I don't think that's going to happen. Again, I just think they're too good for that. But it is also, at the same time, hard to say that they are going to beat him at the end of this week, given what we've seen. Kind of hard to get there. And that's why I picked Alcaraz. Um, obviously, there's also the matter of him getting out of his quarter. Uh, so I think that is a good, I guess, transition to getting into Carlos Alcaraz's quarter. He's the number one seed. Holger Runa, Tommy Paul, Hubert Hercotch. Good quarter. I like it. My dark horse here is Francisco Serendolo. My upset alert is Holger Runa. My early popcorn is Paul versus Serendolo in the second round. Uh, let me start with Holger, actually. You know, he's just still figuring things out on outdoor hardcore. Hasn't had results in these conditions. Nothing compared to what he's accomplished in pretty much all other conditions. So it's kind of a wait-and-see game, especially because we haven't seen him since Wimbledon. I don't really know exactly what we're going to get. In fact, Holger Runa has shown me so many different styles, so many different mindsets on the court, that I don't really know exactly what he is going to be deploying. So yeah, kind of want to wait. And I love Sarindola here. He's my dark horse. Uh, he's had loads of quality wins since Miami. I think winning a title on grass, as he did right before Wimbledon, will help his, his will help his belief this summer. As I I do feel that Sarindola at times has lacked some of that that drive and that belief off of clay. But really, just in general, I don't think he's been the, the most confident and fiery of competitors. And I, I do think that might change a little bit as he uh, just starts to come into his own and feel like he belongs on tour at the, the highest level a little bit more. And winning a title on grass is going to go a, a very long way for that. Just to kind of provide confirmation that he's a lot better than his ranking right now and that he's been in good form and that he's been picking up uh, big wins. I did check his ELO ranking. Uh, ELO, which will kind of give him credit for more of those big wins. And also just take more into account recent times as opposed to the ATP computer, uh, the ATP system, which has a very, very long memory of a full year. And... Elo did confirm that Francisco Serendolo is a lot better than 22 in the world. He's 13th in Elo. So he's my dark horse. Tommy Paul, by the way, 9-3 lifetime in Canada. If you include qualifying matches, beat Alcaraz last year. So he's also no slouch. And Hubert Hercotch, great in North American hardcourt masters. So this is a, a really, really good quarter. Ultimately, I have Alcaraz defeating Francisco Sarindolo. Let's go on to the next quarter. It is Stefanos Tsitsipas's quarter. Top seeds are Tsitsipas, Sinner, FAA, and Chorich. My dark horse here is Matteo Berrettini. My upset alert when I made it this morning was Borna Chorich. He lost. It could have been FAA. He also lost. My early popcorn match is Yannick Sinner versus Matteo Berrettini. I am very fired up to see uh, Berrettini Sinner. They have never played before. 
Now, best of three hardcore generally brings out the worst in Mateo, but he was the most impressive player first week of Wimbledon, bar none. And, you know, maybe it won't carry over, but I think it will. I'm kind of bullish about Berrettini's summer because of just the things that he showed me um, coming back from injury at the All England Club. He also uh, has the benefit of having a win under his belt coming into the center match in the second round. So I always think that that's especially meaningful when players are coming off of long breaks. Oh, Berrettini has already felt the conditions, already felt that kind of match mindset, and that's generally an advantage. So I think Berrettini has a really good chance to beat Yannick. But uh, if Sinner has his best, best level, Mateo probably won't have much to say, especially given the way that Yannick returns. My quarterfinal prediction is Stefano Tsitsipas defeating uh, Matteo Berrettini. Again, Chorich lost uh, already. I was suspicious he would, given how easy it would be for him to let his mind drift to defending 1,000 points next week. FAA also lost. He still uh, really just can't get his season on the right track. Uh, Max Purcell was the man who took out Felix Auger, Ali Asim, of course, in his home country of Canada. I already kind of talked about why I like Titi Pass. Um, I do like him over Berrettini. He has a surprisingly very, very good record against Matteo Berrettini. I forget what it is exactly, but I know that it is uh, quite favorable. I only say surprisingly, not because Stefano Tsitsipas isn't a better player than Matteo Berrettini. He is. It's just that uh, at times, some of the, the best servers on tour have fared better against Tsitsipas than maybe their overall level should suggest that they should. Uh, but I think Tsitsipas has had a lot of success against Mateo, mainly because Berrettini's had a lot of trouble finding uh, finding breaks of serve against Stefanos. And I could see that continuing if they do play again in this quarterfinal. But if it's Yannick Sinner, I still like Stefanos Tsitsipas very, very much. And that is also a head-to-head that has been very kind to the Greek. So I do think that Tsitsipas coming off the title in Los Cabos will continue and uh, convert this into a uh, another Final Four. He's been pretty good historically in Toronto as well. He's done it twice, as uh, you may have picked up on at the top of the show. Kasparud's quarter, he's the number three seed. You got Andre Rublev, Francis Tiafo, and Alexander Zverev. My dark horse here is Milos Raonic. My upset alert is none. And, well, I mean, Tiafo lost, so... I, I could have just put Francis Tiafo, you know, in hindsight, but obviously that wouldn't have done much of good for anybody. So I just put none. Early popcorn is Zverev versus Davidovich Fakina in the second round. I just felt like of all of of all of the second round matchups, that one is just the most intriguing in terms of what the result might be. Uh, stylistically, it's kind of interesting. You know, Zverev does have a knack for. Uh, sucking the life out of matches against particular play styles, especially against players who just don't bring a lot of uh, offensive productivity or proactiveness, but Fakina is not in that vein. So I think it'll be interesting. 
how good was Milos Raonic against Tiafo? That was unbelievable. He hit an unbelievable amount of aces. Uh, almost almost hit a career high in aces. His serve was untouchable. I was uh, really impressed with the quality of his movement. He's crushing his forehand. He's slicing his backhands. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. This is kind of the quarter of post-Wimbledon clay. Rude, Rublev, Zverev, they all played after Wimbledon on the clay. They all posted pretty good results. I wouldn't be surprised if any of those three went through. Uh, but ultimately, I am picking Andre Rublev to defeat Kasper Rude. Because I, I just like Andre Rublev's momentum. Three out of his last four tournaments have been really, really good. Bostad was exceedingly good. I was encouraged by Wimbledon. I loved the Bublik win. I liked how he played against Djokovic, relatively speaking. He's won his last two against Zverev. He's 5-2 and two lifetime against Rude. He beat both of them in Bostad. He's moving well. Uh, everything seems to kind of be firing. Andre is is just playing great tennis. He's uh, he's fifth in the race, by the way. He's very very close to fourth. So quietly having maybe I got to look at the numbers. Maybe the best year of his career. I don't know if it's twenty twenty level uh, because twenty twenty he was just winning so many titles in so few opportunities. Uh, but you know it really has been good. I love his momentum, so I went with him. Watch out for Raonic, though. I would flag him. Bomb serves and slice backhands are two things that can get to Rublev. They're two things that I do look for when it comes to opponents that can bother Andre Rublev. Lastly, we have Daniil Medvedev's quarter. He's got Taylor Fritz, Cam Nori, and Lorenzo Musetti. My dark horse is Hugo Umber. My upset alert was Cam Nori. He lost, so I crossed him out. Uh, my early popcorn is Fritz versus Umber in the second round. Uh, Hugo Umber has been on the rise recently. He's playing good tennis. And uh, that's pretty much all I have to say um, about him. I've been keeping an eye on his results. He's been playing a, a lot of tennis, I'll say. Very very kind of consistent workload, kind of playing every week. I, I don't know if that's going to end up being good for kind of like a, a U.S. Open run or, or something of the sort uh, because he, he could wear down at some point. But I think as of now, it's probably going to be a good thing as he continues to kind of pick up wins and start to feel better and better about his game, which is... Very much a, a game that can run hot and cold, but when it's on, he's incredibly dangerous. He's beaten a lot of top players, and uh, that's why I definitely have my eye on Fritz versus Umber in the second round. Still kind of looking for Taylor Fritz to... Uh, still kind of trying to figure out where his game's at. It seems like he was playing better. Uh, lost in the semis in Washington, but these are very these are very different conditions that I do think will help Taylor. So, uh, you know, I think, I think Fritz has... A potential to do well in this quarter, but Medvedev would be a, a really brutal matchup for him. I, I really hate that head-to-head -head for Taylor, uh, and I have ultimately Medvedev 
defeating Fritz in the quarterfinal. I just don't think Fritz incorporates enough net play. I don't think he drop shots well enough. I don't think he uh, has enough variation in in uh, height and angle. So I just think it's kind of tailor-made for Daniil Medvedev. As I said, Cam Nori was upset. Uh, Lorenzo Musetti has uh, he's been playing pretty well. Um, who does who does he play again? I remember being kind of interested in uh, in Musetti. Oh, he's gonna play Kokonakis. Oh, and then he's in Medvedev's section. Musetti Woods is probably the biggest danger to Medvedev here, other than Hugo Umber, who uh, I, I actually think has played. If I'm if my memory serves, I think he's played Medvedev. Uh, really, really well in the past. In fact, I think, I'm pretty sure he's beaten Daniil. I think he beat Daniil at the start of last year, I believe. All right. It is now time for the final weekend. Uh, I already did kind of my whole spiel in the beginning, so I won't go into detail. Uh, but it is as followed. Semifinals, Alcaraz defeats Tsitsipas in two sets. Medvedev defeats Rublev in three sets. And Alcaraz defeats Medvedev in three Sets. I would hope that Tsitsipas and Medvedev would figure some things out if this happens. And that it wouldn't be as predictable as maybe things played out in Wimbledon, for example, in the semifinals. I hope some adjustments are made if this does happen. I think Daniil, hypothetically would have a little bit of an easier time with those adjustments, but neither one has it easy. That's ultimately why uh, I gave Medvedev a set in this one, which would uh, which would be nice for him, positive for him, if he would just kind of do something positive in this hypothetical final. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Again, this is uh, pretty chalky. Now, obviously, making predictions lends itself to less surprises than what actually happens in reality. Uh, but I'm, I'm very, very curious to see if uh, the trend continues of some kind of unexpected results here in Canada, or if the top players end up performing and holding their seeds here ultimately as we get down to it. So excited uh, to continue for this tournament coverage of the National Bank Open. Uh, I'll have some some post-match. I'll have Monday match analysis, and uh, it will be a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.